0: Here it is!
1: From deep inside your radio. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what this country needs? We need a national conversation on race. No, we don't! Please, not another one of those. Every time there's a a racially tinged incident in the news, and that never happens, the uh, mainstream networks rouse themselves from their apparent torpor to say... We we need a this calls for a national conversation. I don't want to hear what Rudy Giuliani and Mark Moriel have to say about race. Please, please stop it now. But that being said, the um, the the proximate cause of the national this this week's national conversation on race, of course, is the uh, grand jury verdict regarding Darren Wilson's shooting. Fatal shooting of Michael Brown in uh, Ferguson, Missouri. The grand jury or the prosecutor issued the grand jury's verdict in the evening. Good timing. Timing, babe. Timing. Why would you want to do that during the day, during daylight hours? Um, I, I learned, ladies and gentlemen, just about two decades ago when I uh, watched every freaking minute of both OJ Simpson trials that it really isn't smart for uh, a person who hasn't seen the evidence presented and, and heard the witnesses and seen the witnesses testify to opine about a jury's verdict. It's just, it's uh, ignorant. So I'm I'm going to limit myself, since I wasn't there, well none of us was, except some grand jurors whose names are secret. Uh, to, to just a comment, just a thought about process. There's a good reason that grand jury proceedings are not usually mini trials. Cuz they're secret. Grand jury proceedings are secret. You can't know what goes on in there. They're no they're it's secret. You understand what I'm saying? So and so far we we in this country have preferred I know it's kind of an old-fashioned thing to have our trials be public, unless, unless you're a terrorist. So that's one good reason why um, you don't turn a grand jury proceeding normally into a mini-trial. Now, the uh, prosecutor in this particular case, Mr. McCulloch, um, won a lot of plaudits from certain people by, by introducing uh, exculpatory evidence and exculpatory testimony, into the grand jury proceeding. So we know from his dump of all the uh, evidence after the verdict was released. Of course, the jury doesn't hear evidence read to them. They don't read evidence. They hear testimony. Witnesses appear. So you don't have a sense of how the witnesses looked or sounded to the jury. You you have this sort of desiccated transcript. But what you didn't have and you can't have in a grand jury proceeding is cross-examination. And anybody who's been around a trial knows that both culpatory and exculpatory testimony and evidence needs to be subjected to cross-examination for the jury to really understand what's strong and what's weak about that testimony or evidence. That is sort of the nature of the adversarial system. But, um, ladies and gentlemen, you know, If you want secret trials, you've come to the right country. Hello, welcome to the show.
2: Hey mister, that's me up on the jukebox I'm the one that's singing this sad song And I cry every time That you slip in one more dime To hear that sad a girl can be Blue as the deep blue seal Won't you listen to me now I need your golden gadget it's like I need a whole Can't you see that I'm As dry as a bone I think I spend some Spend some time alone Unless you find a way of squeezing Water from a stone Cause I've been this lonesome player A little bit too long I've been this lonesome player A little bit up on the cute
1: From New Orleans, Louisiana, where it's warm and sunny, and as if that's not enough of a blessing this time of year. You know, ladies and gentlemen, you probably stopped hearing political advertisements a month ago. We still have them in New Orleans and the state of Louisiana because there's a big runoff election coming up. Yeah, we're blessed. Uh, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, News of Nice Corp. Nice people doing nice things. Well, if there's, not, if there's not such a thing as karma, I think they just invented it. Vodafone, telephone company, telecommunications giant in uh, England and other places, gave British police the mobile phone records of 1,700 people working for Nice Corp. News UK, the company that publishes several top British newspapers. Owned by Rupert Murdoch. Yes, this is the same uh, nice corp that uh, many of whose uh, employees of eight, I think, at current count, have been convicted of uh, phone hacking celebrities and politicians. Isn't that wild? The Times reported all this said the staff had been informed of the breach by Chief Executive Mark Darcy. It concerned call records of staff at The Times, The Sunday Times, and The Sun, a tabloid, between 2005 and 2007. Darcy said in a statement in the Times story he was personally appalled at the breach and that Vodafone had apologized. The mobile phone records of journalists and lawyers contain privileged information. We've made clear to them that we regard this as a very serious issue, Darcy said. Unlike, you know, so celebrities and uh, mothers of missing children whose phone records were hacked by the former News Corp tabloid News of the World. The police request was made under the Regulation of Investigatory Powers Act, a controversial anti-terrorism law which has been accused of enabling excessive surveillance.
2: Uh, Of course one enjoys the feeling of power.
1: Yeah, well, I guess it... I guess the karma train has pulled in for a brief stop at the very least, ladies and gentlemen. News of Nice Corp. Nice, 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 nice people doing nice things. And now... News of Bad Banks. Well... You remember the robo-signing scandal that accompanied the, the wave of foreclosures in the wake of the great financial crisis earlier on in this very century. Well, now there's something new in three cases over two days. The First District Court of Appeal in Florida has thrown out evidence submitted in foreclosure actions and ruled the lender's witnesses were unqualified. This from the Florida Daily Business Review. In what appears to be a trend, the court said the trial courts in the cases should dismiss the lawsuits altogether in favor of the homeowners. Why? These decisions are believed to be the first to strike down so-called robo-witnesses in a homeowner's case with uh, a lender as plaintiff according to foreclosure defense attorney Thomas Ice of Royal Palm Beach, Florida. The decision should become effective statewide in Florida. Ice said bank attorneys often come to trial in foreclosure cases with a single witness who lacks firsthand knowledge of the origin and accuracy of the mortgage records they describe. Quote, it's the same in almost every single bank case because they're always transferring these loans around. The loan servicers change at least once and very often several times between the time of the loan and the trial. Unquote. You you probably have heard way back when Eve Smith of Naked Capitalism talking about mortgage servicers and the way uh, loans, once they're securitized, are sort of bandied about, to use a term of art, loosely. Florida dr- courts post-crash were flooded with home foreclosure filings. Defense attorneys protested plaintiff's firms were circumventing evidentiary mo- rules by submitting forged assignments. That was robo-signing. When the banks resumed litigating cases, often under deadline pressures imposed by judges, they often relied on witnesses with limited knowledge of the mortgage documents. And now that's being called out in uh, these October cases. District Judge Nikki Ann Clark wrote an opinion noting that the bank's witnesses in one case did not know where any information on payments came from before their bank, SunTrust, acquired the loan. She never testified whether the entries were made at the time of the event by a person with knowledge kept in the ordinary course of business and as a regular business practice. Those are all crucial elements for laying the foundation for saying, yeah, this is a legitimate mortgage, and these people legitimately owned it. The panel also found the trial court should have dismissed the case, one case, years ago because a 2010 motion to dismiss for inactivity was valid. It was all the more remarkable because it was one of three issued by the 1st District in two days that reversed foreclosures and sided with homeowners based on hearsay testimony of robo-witnesses. And the Washington Post has summarized the crimes and the punishments committed by and assigned to our major banks in recent days. And it's a uh, an interesting list, to say the least. Here you go. The crimes: manipulating the foreign exchange market, manipulating LIBOR and the gold market, mis-selling interest rate swaps. Those were mainly to municipalities trying to uh, hedge. Interest rates, and they ended up losing billions of dollars and payment protection insurance. That's mainly in England. Aiding money laundering, hello, HSBC. Disregarding sanctions on a country, ditto. Tax avoidance, providing compromised investment advice, and trading scandals. And that's just a partial list. In total, these fines, according to the Post, have directly cost banks more than $100 billion in the U.S. alone. Some have suggested this could soon bring the total bill for fines since 2008 to more than $300 billion. There were also legal fees, consultants, and new risk and compliance departments which need to be paid, and there are huge reputational costs. One recent study of UK banks found that for every pound they paid out in fines, they lost $3 off their share price. Who's paying? When you find a bank, when the share price goes down, stockholders pay. How many bankers... Have actually been sent to jail since all this happened? Or even brought even uh, brought before a grand jury for a secret uh, trial? Answer, zero. It pays to be a bad bank, don't it? And now, ladies and gentlemen. If
2: you want me to love you, all that you must do is just say so.
1: Well... Ladies and gentlemen, our uh, crusade against the use of the word so at the beginning of an answer to a question has found uh, an ally in an interesting and and perhaps even unexpected location. Uh, Sort of at uh, at the cutting edge, as usual, the folks at NPR. So... Let's hear some examples. (laughs) Right. I I, I sent you up. You violated one of our rules. Well, semi-rule. We get a lot of complaints. It drives listeners nuts Mm -hmm. when they hear NPR hosts and correspondents begin sentences with the word so. The grammarians will say that's wrong. It's a conjunction. You're not supposed to do that. Now, it is conversational, is a way to sort of get your thoughts together as you're moving from one question or one segment to another. So it's understandable why people do it, but we do it so much. We do it over and over and over. I just have to think there may be some so-drinking games out there during our broadcast. I'm not endorsing that, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. And from a recent introduction to uh, a big, big-time auction...
0: So this is our inaugural History of Science sale. So uh, the Apple one we got from uh, an American collector. So the Apple computer's estimate is $300,000 to $500,000. So it's a a letter from Charles Darwin. Um, It was written about two years before The Origin of Species was published, so 1857. So it's, it's sort of comedic.
1: And now, ladies and gentlemen, let us try. You know, it's the motto of the United States Army Corps of Engineers. And um, this is sort of the, the, the story of the Everglades is um, by itself an interesting story, but it's, it's also so indicative of, of how this particular agency does its business. It is it, business. Um, the United States Army Corps. Was has been involved in the Everglades story for a long, long time. And there's a wonderful book uh, about it, about part of this, called Paving Paradise. But uh, this from the Tampa Bay Times. The uh, symbol of the Everglades, the alligators that inhabit it, are showing signs of serious trouble. Their population has dropped, and the ones that are still around look underfed. The answer is Complicated, According to veteran biologist Frank Mazzotti, alligators are an indicator of the overall health of the river of grass. If they're not doing well, says Mazzotti, a University of Florida professor, then neither are the glades. He's part of a team of biologists who've been trying to figure out what's affecting them. The problem is water, not the pollution in it, but the quantity of it. The, that's the primary factor. In the rest of Florida, alligators are doing fine. There's an, a population boom, and they're freelance trappers to keep them from uh, invading homes, but not in the Everglades. In 1948, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, well, somebody let them try. They began building a series of canals, levees, and pumps that altered the natural plumbing of the Everglades in the name of controlling flooding because the coast was filling up with uh, cheap housing. i Oh, did I say cheap? Expensive, lovely housing. That flood control system disrupted the natural wet and dry pattern of the Everglades, according to Mazzotti, and that was bad for alligators and other species. It disrupted the natural pattern for the fish they usually eat. When the Everglades aren't flooded, when they dry up, the water that was left is concentrated in small areas, so are the fish. That's good hunting time for the birds, for the birds, as well as the gators. Well, when the plumbing changed, the birds could adapt, fly to where the water was and the the fish were, but the gators couldn't. Since the corps began manipulating the water levels, that has changed a fact acknowledged by the corps's own scientists. There are fewer dry periods; the gators have to work a lot harder to get something to eat, unlike the storks and other wading birds. Nobody knows how many alligators there might be in the Everglades, Mazzotti said. But his team has been gathering data for a decade, count the alligators they encounter within a kilometer. And the number they encounter in the glades is half what they find north of the Everglades. Bringing them back would mean bringing back the historic pattern of the ebb and flow of the Everglades south of Lake Okeechobee. Who's going to be doing that? Who's going to be getting the billions of dollars necessary to do that? Hands? That's right. Same people who screwed it up, the United States Army Corps of Engineers. According to Gina Paduano-Ralph, Chief of the Corps' Restoration Section, they got a restoration section to restore what they destroyed. I was thoughtful of them. The multi-billion dollar Everglades Restoration Project Congress and the Florida Legislature approved in 2000. Monitoring the alligators' potential comeback would be one way to determine if the restoration project is successful. But the Everglades project, guess what, is already years behind schedule, and the price tag, has, price tag has ballooned. I guess the Corps of Engineers has a balloon department. One segment of the plan is exclusively fixed on fixing the flow from Lake Obechobe, Okeechobee into the central glades, which pr- provide the greatest benefit to the park's gators. That segment's estimated price tag recently climbed... By a hundred million to nearly two billion, the state and the feds are splitting the cost, and so far Congress has not authorized spending any money on the central Everglades project. but they will sometime let them just let them try. ladies and gentlemen uh, you may have missed this. it went by me until this week, according to the independent trade body, Scottish Renewables. Numbers from the first half of this year show that renewable energy was Scotland's largest source of power. I know, it's Scotland, but still. Figures show that for the first half of the year, renewable energy generated 32% more electricity than any other single source of power in Scotland. The announcement that renewables have become Scotland's main source of electricity is historic news for our country, says Neil Stewart, chief executive of Scottish Renewables. Behind renewable energy was nuclear power previously Scotland's main source of electricity coal followed natural gas much further behind and um, October was a bumper month for the Scottish wind energy sector generating over 100 percent of residential electricity needs throughout the country so it can be done if you're if you're Scotland our friend Saudi Arabia on the other hand uh, you know there are there are they support our values, don't they? They're cracking down on people who criticize the government online, according to Human Rights Watch. They said that Saudi prosecutors and judges use, quote, vague provisions, unquote, of a 2007 anti-cybercrime law to charge citizens for peaceful tweets or tweetful peats uh, and other comments posted on or pasted on social media. Last month, Saudi authorities convicted three lawyers of criticizing the justice ministry and sentenced them to jail terms between five and eight years. That'll learn them. A woman's rights activist was also detained over tweets that allegedly criticized religious officials and advocated for women's right to drive. What's with the gals and the driving? I like being driven. Just just being facetious, ladies and gentlemen i like to drive, as just, just as you do, as any uh, right-thinking American would. And now.
2: Once I had a secret that lived within the heart of
1: me. Now, more news of secrets. The United States military's policy of force-feeding hunger-striking detainees at Guantanamo Bay is a violation of the United Nations Convention Against Torture, and the government, our government, you and me, the one we pay for, should put an end to the practice. That's according to a report released Friday, you probably didn't notice it, you were burping your turkey, by the UN Committee Against Torture. Yeah, they got one of those. The committee considers that force-feeding of prisoners on hunger strike constitutes ill-treatment in violation of the Convention Against Torture. It said these force feedings are allegedly administered in an unnecessary, brutal and painful manner. This is the panel which reviewed America's human rights record and its compliance with the anti-torture treaty. We talked about this, I think, last week's broadcast. It urged the U.S. to either to end the use of military commissions and the policy of indefinite detentions at Gitmo. And it called for the declassification of, quote, torture evidence, in particular Guantanamo detainees accounts of torture, unquote. Right now. Those detainees' allegations of torture are a secret. The 15 page report sharply criticized the American government's post 9 11 detention and interrogation policies. But well, we tortured some folks and found other instances in which the country has run afoul of the torture treaty's ban on cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment or punishment. This is why we should not be giving money to the UN, We're using our money to do this. The report expressed the grave concern over the extraordinary rendition, secret detention, and interrogation program operated by the CIA between 2001 and 2008, which involves hum- numerous human rights violations, including torture, ill-treatment, and enforced disappearance of persons suspected of involvement in terrorism-related crimes. The uh, State Department spokesman said, We crossed the line. We take responsibility for that. And taking responsibility means issuing a press release that we take responsibility. They they as just as many people have been indicted and punished for this as for uh, banking crimes. So the, it you know the jails would be too full. The committee's report found the US does not follow through on its rhetoric. So far the Obama, Obama administration has failed to hold anyone accountable for detention and interrogation policies enacted by the Bush administration. That's looking backward. Come on. And in many instances has covered up the crimes by protecting or classifying information as, quote, state secrets, unquote. The U.S. further violates the torture convention to which we are a signatory by failing to provide redress to victims of torture. The report is particularly disturbed at reports describing a draconian system of secrecy surrounding high-value detainees that keeps their torture claims out of the public domain. This is the first time In eight years, the U.N. panel has reviewed American compliance with the treaty. The U.S. ratified the treaty in 1994, but didn't really mean it, apparently. The uh, White House spokesman said the administration is reviewing the committee's observation. And I'm sure we'll be hearing more about that in just a few decades. News of... Torture, ladies and gentlemen. Not yet copyrighted feature of this broadcast, but it's coming. You know, apropos, this is La Show, by the way, from New Orleans, apropos of those stories about secret trials and secret torture and all that, President Obama's fond of saying, that's not who we are. Au contraire, I think it is. And now, news from outside the bubble. The charity Save the Children faces a backlash from its staff after it presented former... British Prime Minister Tony Blair with a Global Legacy Award. Tom? A Global Legacy Award. That's right. In New York last week, despite privately acknowledging that he's a controversial and divisive figure, you know, with the war and the thing. Amid widespread criticism on social media, many of the charity staff have complained the presentation of the award has discredited Save the Children. An internal letter garnered almost 200 signatures is in the first six hours of dissemination said the award was not only morally reprehensible but also endangers our credibility globally and called for it to be withdrawn it said the staff wished to distance themselves from the award and demanded a review of the charity's decision-making process quote we consider this award inappropriate and a betrayal of save the children's founding principles and values Management staff in the region were not communicated with nor consulted about the award and were caught by surprise with this decision, it said. The move has raised questions about Save the Children's integrity and independence because of close links between Blair and key figures at the charity's helm. Its U.K. chief executive, Justin Forsyth, was a special advisor to Blair for three years, and Jonathan Powell, his former chief of staff, is currently on the board of Save the Children. Blair was presented with the award by the U.S. arm of the charity at a glittering Illumination Gala at the Plaza Hotel in the middle of the month in recognition of his leadership on international development, citing two G8 summits hosted by Blair. The executive director of Human Rights Watch tweeted a picture of Blair with the words, as this man defends any dictator who will pay him, Save the Children inexplicably gives him an award. The charity's global media manager emailed senior colleagues that Save the Children has received a, quote, high volume of complaints and negative reactions regarding the award. Why would Save the Children choose to provide one of its most prestigious awards to a man accused of being a war criminal? The email asks rhetorically. In response, the director of media and communications in the U.S. circulated a line—that is to say, a, a line of th- uh, promotional blather—explaining that Blair was selected for the award for debt relief work and the Make Poverty History campaign. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, we're not in a position to respond to some of the geopolitical questions," she wrote in a separate email. And Save the children's Stress the award was given by the U.S. arm of the charity, not the British arm, which is the only charity allowed to uh, fundraise on the BBC. Now, there's a Save, Save the Children campaign. A leaked internal email to staff from the international charity's ch- chief executive says uh, the uproar has touched a nerve close to our sense of identity. By the way, the previous report was from The Guardian. Uh, In this internal email released by a blogger, the uh, head of the international charity, Jasmine Whitbread, says, "...we're all frustrated and disappointed about the situation we are in. She blames Save the Children U.S., which failed to consult with the rest of the charity." They simply did not anticipate anything sensitive. In the USA, Tony Blair is widely seen very positively for his contribution to international aid. Urgently, right now, a team is trying hard to contain the situation and stop things escalating further, detracting from our wider work for children. The point has been made, and more coverage of the issue will not help children. Sadly, there have also been leaks of internal emails to the media, she said in her email, which was leaked to the media. News from outside the bubble, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, the apologies of the week.
0: We're so sorry.
1: Well, earlier this week, a British former member of parliament who's now a talk radio host in London was in a taxi cab. He wasn't pleased with the uh, route his cab driver was taking. And uh, the cab driver, unknown to the passenger, was tape recording the conversation. And uh, when the cab driver questioned the passenger's choice of route, response on tape was, who are you to question me? I've been in the cabinet. I'm an award-winning broadcaster. I'm a Queen's counsel. I don't want to hear from you. Get a better a better education. Shut the F up, smart-ost little bastard. Of course, since it was recorded, it became public. And so... Oh. And so a noise happened, after which George Miller... The former parliament member and current talk radio broadcaster issued an on-the-air apology. Good morning. Well, there's no denying it is there. Uh, what a week. I mean, really torrid, but probably no worse than I deserved. I can't think what possessed me to lose it with that cabbie the way I did. OK, I had a case, but I threw it away by the way I spoke, and I'm really, really sorry about that. And I especially want to apologize to you, our listeners, for trying your patience and risking my own credibility with you by speaking like I did. Anyway, it's water for me at the next celebratory lunch. I've definitely made uh, that uh, decision. (laughs) Uh, I.e., he was drunk. Deadline, Batavia, New York. A student in Batavia went to school and came home with a shaved head. The incident happened in September. The student's mother and the assistant principal of Notre Dame High School called her 17-year-old son, Lucas Hall, to the cafeteria to talk about his haircut, his mohawk, because it violated the school dress code. So the vice-principal shaved him in front of the homeroom. The incident in question occurred in September was promptly and appropriately addressed by the Notre Dame High School Board of Trustees. A student came to school with a mohawk haircut that violated the school's dress code policy. The assistant principal has since apologized to the student, his parents, and the school community for his error in judgment in cutting the student's hair in the student's homeroom before discussing the situation with the student's parents. Unquote. The school board's statement. Oh, I'm just thinking about my love for the whole idea of dress codes in school. Dayline Rosebank, New York. A Staten Island Bar's roofy Colada dessert is leaving a bad taste in some c- customers' mouths. The Funky Elephant Gastropub named a dessert drink after the rape drug Rohypnol, apparently in a hat-tip to an episode of the Off-Color cartoon... <laughs> Family Guy. That's so funny. It left Jeremiah Jerkowitz and his friends upset when he celebrated his 24th birthday party at the spot. The staff initially ignored him when he complained. The owner sent back a message explaining the title comes from the TV show Family Guy. Later chastised the customer for posting publicly about it. You know there aren't any date rape drugs in the dessert, right? The restaurant wrote wrote on Facebook. You could have said something to management or even sent us a private message about how you felt, which we would have respectfully considered and maybe even changed. Then others jumped on the thread to criticize the eatery for naming a drink after a date rape drug. On Tuesday, operations manager Jerry Agro apologized for the title and said the restaurant pulled the cocktail off the menu until they renamed it. A local TV station in Tennessee apologized for posting a poorly worded tweet during the nationally televised press conference from Ferguson, Missouri. WTVC News Channel 9 interrupted an episode of Dancing with the Stars to broadcast news of the grand jury's decision. In a since-deleted tweet, WTVS assured viewers that Dancing with the Stars would, be, would return after its Ferguson coverage. Don't worry, Dancing with the Stars will be back on after the special report. Many social media users criticized the station for what they saw as insensit- insensitivity. We did not mean to be insensitive with our previous tweet. We apologized if it was perceived that way, the station wrote. We've removed our very poorly worded tweet from earlier to stop the bad signal from spreading. Please accept our sincerest if apologies." The St. Paul, Minnesota, public school superintendent apologized for a Twitter comment on the Ferguson shooting that sparked a flurry of reaction, most of it negative. Soon after authorities announced their decision, and, um, Superintendent Valeria Silva tweeted, No indictment for Officer Wilson. Very sad day in America. How do I explain this to my black students? Silva later deleted the tweet and clarified her intent, but her remark re- offended many, including some who agreed with the grand jury's decision. In her apology, Silver said she reacted emotionally in a tragic situation and didn't mean to challenge the judgment of the police or the grand jury. One of the students at the high school in the district said, I think it's important to explain it to all of the students. Peter King, a Sports Illustrated NFL writer, thought he sent out an innocent tweet about the New York Jets. He was surprised to see his mentions flooded with people questioning his taste. This is the biggest indictment of all. The Jets' special teams are worse than the offense course it was on the night of the ferguson decision pardon the use of the word indictment my fault referring only to football not watching the news he apologized the apologies of the week ladies and gentlemen well wait there's there's a couple more Uh, one of the world's best known scientists is selling his nobel prize medal in a bid to allow him to re-enter public life after being shunned for the past seven years, for his comments licking race and intelligence, James Watson, who worked alongside British scientist Francis Crick to discover the double helix structure of DNA, said he'd become an unperson since his remarks in a newspaper interview, telling the Sunday Times black people were not of equal intelligence to white people back in 2007. he has not given any public lectures since then, said he's been fired from the boards of companies, adding, quote, no one really wants to admit I exist. He told the Financial Times, I apologize. The journalist somehow wrote that I worried about the people in Africa because of their low IQ, and you're not supposed to say that. He said it had been stupid on my part and insisted he is not racist, quote, in a conventional way. And the rap, show business website has apologized for a uh, commentator on the website, Richard Stellar. An opinion piece with a contrarian view on the Bill Cosby situation can provoke, but it should not offend, said the apology. Clearly it has been done. So, it has done so. And for that, said Sharon Waxman, editor of The rap, I apologize. The Apologies is the Week, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And speaking of Bill Cosby, the Berklee School of Music and Cosby's alma mater this week, the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, became the latest institution to cut ties with the comedian as more women stepped forward with accusations. Cosby had been an honorary co-chair of the university's $300 million fundraising campaign and one of its most distinguished alumni, Now he's alumnus non grata. He no longer has any affiliation with the campaign, nor does he serve in any other capacity for the university, said a spokesman for the university, speaking to The Washington Post. That came shortly after Berklee College of Music, which had given Cosby an honorary degree a decade ago, announced it would no longer award a scholarship in his name. High Point University in North Carolina also announced it has removed Cosby from its National Board of Advisors. And Freed Hardeman University in Tennessee canceled Cosby's scheduled appearance at a December benefit dinner for student scholarships. He continues to serve on the board of trustees at Temple in Philadelphia uh, in in Pennsylvania, although the school is reportedly under pressure to drop him as a member. And uh, at a now a uh, personal appearance scheduled in a theater in Tarrytown, New York, Cosby himself has offered. Refunds if customers want them. Um, apparently, the promoter was in- unable to do that, so uh, Cosby is now offering the refunds himself. So it's um, and uh, as noted in that uh, piece about the universities, more women are coming forward. I think the total number now is twenty. And uh, you know, it, the the media situation right now looks. Looks grim for the uh, man who is formally called by certain magazines America's dad. But, you know, things could still change. An entertainer's career is in danger of toppling, but some in showbiz still see dollar signs in him. Do we believe in redemption or what? It's a special inside extra access tonight for the start of December 2014. everybody. I'm Mike Devere. And I'm Pat Mungo, now on a maintenance dose of life. There hasn't been such a rush away from an A-list celebrity since Pee-wee Herman bought his last box of popcorn. Networks and cable channels have been dropping Bill Cosby projects like Britney Spears leg warmers. But one creative team thinks the time may be just right for a new Bill Cosby project. They're swimming against the tide, and they like it. Let's face it, uh, career wise, there's no more downturn to the Cosby situation. What more can they do? Stop making jello, have public sweater burnings. Corky Sloman is half of the producing writing team behind such cable and network family comedies as The Theory of Relativity and Get Me a Coffee. Doug and I put our collective heads together and asked ourselves okay. This guy's got an orchard full of lemons. We're way past the lemonade phase here, but uh, could we possibly make some comedy lemon meringue pie out of all this? And and that's where Toos a Crowd was born. Or at least when it was born. I don't remember where the hell we were. Corky's partner, Doug Proops, had worked for some troubled stand-up comics before. Most notably, he wrote and produced a comeback comedy video for Michael Richards called Any N-Words in the House? But a sitcom is a whole different animal from a video. Although our legal department wants us to remind you, neither of them is really an animal at all. First off, the lead character, it couldn't really be Bill Cosby. As a character, he was more radioactive than a Chernobyl chipmunk. Then we, I think it was me, but who's counting, had the inspiration that made the thing click. You know the State Farm commercials where the basketball player Chris Paul has this twin... Cliff Paul, who sells insurance. What if Cliff Huxtable, from The Cosby Show, The Sweet Family Obstetrician, what if he had a black sheep twin named Chris Huxtable? He's an anti-hero. They're hot. If you're getting the idea this isn't your grandfather's sitcom, you're right. All these uh, hot drama series have these really morally dubious lead characters. Uh, So we thought, great, great, let's follow Chris, who who also went to med school, he's, he's a, a troubled podiatrist, <laughs> and he seduces his patients from the feet up. Yeah, that that's one of the show's twists, <laughs> because the normal seducer... So I hear, work's top-down. But but he's still funny. Like at, at the end of each episode when his patient comes around, he gives her really uncomfortable orthotics. So she's like distracted from whatever else she might be feeling. So you've got this this yin-yang thing with him. You, you like him, but you're repelled by him. But really, you like him, too. Right. You gotta like him. But two's a Crowd is far from set on any network schedule. Yet. We uh, haven't, of course, we haven't uh, pitched Cosby yet. Oh, no, no! First, we're working through the layers of lawyers. Mm-hmm. Lawyers are layers with uh, W thrown in the middle, just to screw with you. <laughs> <laughs> but they've been great. Mm-hmm. They've been writing so many statements for the media. They're really not bad at writing by this point. It was their idea for him to have twin kids, for example. Yeah, it's like the twin thing is a runner, mm-hmm. and of course, you've got the same kid playing both parts. So you're cost cutting before you. Even finished casting. But we've heard that Bill likes the idea. The idea of working. <laughs> I don't, I don't, he really likes the idea of, of Betty White as his long suffering wife. She uh, cougared Chris Huxtable a couple of decades ago, and now she's both long suffering and wisecracking. Which kind of takes the curse off the long suffering thing. A little. A little a Crowd has a tentative pilot commitment from a network that prefers not to be named just yet. Sounds like they're crazy, like a fox. That crushes it for this edition, but Inside Extra Access tonight comes rolling back tomorrow with the results of our latest IEAT poll. We asked you where Kim Kardashian should show up naked next, and the answer will have you reaching for the England team. Mm-hmm. Till then, I'm Mike Devere. And I'm Pat Mungo. So long. From Calver City. And, ladies and gentlemen, just a couple of notes in the news of the warm department. Human-induced changes to Earth's carbon cycle have been observed for decades. A new study published in Science showed human activities, industrial and agricultural processes in particular, have had significant impacts on the upper ocean nitrogen cycle. Uh, That could affect how all the critters in the ocean, or whether they... uh, are plentiful or otherwise. And the global average temperature over land and ocean surfaces for January to October of this year were the highest on record, according to NOAA. It said October was the hottest since records began in 1880. News of the warm, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over the same stations over NPR worldwide, throughout Europe, the USEN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet 7.490 megahertz shortwave on the mighty 104 in Berlin, around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live and archived whenever you want it, harryshearer.com and kcsn.org available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com and available as a free podcast from www.no.org, Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, and iTunes. And I think uh, TuneIn Radio, too. And it would be just like me remembering TuneIn Radio if you'd agree to join me then. Would you, already? Thank you very much. Uh Uh-huh. Typical show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, in exile in Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson here at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program. You still use email? And playlist of the music heard here on. And Cars I Talk t-shirts. Dare you not get them at Christmas gifts? All available at harryshearer.com. And me? I'm the Harry Shearer at Twitter. New York uh, listeners, Christmas Without Tears, Judith Owen and my annual charity show this Friday and next Monday night at The Cutting Room. Two different shows benefiting the Actors Fund and New Orleans Musicians Clinic. Hope we see you there. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the change is easy radio network so long from new orleans